Hi, my name is Rod Cleef. I'm host of the Lifetime Cashflow Podcast. And I want to take a second and talk about my friend Adam Adams and his events. Now, I've been blessed to speak at his events, and I know he's known as one of the top meetup organizers on the planet. But let me just say this about Adam. If he's, if he's having an event, go to it. Adam focuses on adding absolutely as much value as possible. He comes with my highest endorsement. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. I cannot believe that we are already in this far into August and coming up to the Raising Money Summit. It's only a few weeks away. I've got a bunch of amazing speakers and I want you to hear from them now. So check out what a couple of them are going to be speaking about at the Raising Money Summit and I'll see you there October 3rd, 4th and 5th. Hi everyone, my name is Ramakrishna. One of the important aspects that changed my business is how I get my soft commitments. And I'm going to explain you the step-by-step process, how you can get $3 million of sub-commitment for your next either multifamily deal or startup or whatever that you're trying to raise capital. You know, come see me in Denver in October first week. Don't miss this. And then you will be really amazed how soft commitments will help you not to be nervous in raising money for your next deal. Thank you. See you there. Hi, I'm Jillian Sidoti from one of the top syndication law firms in the country, Trowbridge Sidoti, crowdfundinglawyers.net. And there's a massive controversy going on right now in the world of raising private money. And that has to do with using your network to raise money for you. I see a lot of people doing this. I get a lot of phone calls about it. And a lot of people are doing it wrong. I want you to do it right. I want you to do it right. I want you to raise more money than you ever have before. And I want you to use your network. So I'm going to teach you how to rock your network for your money raising. You will raise more money this year than you ever have before if you follow what I tell you October 3rd through the 5th at the annual Raising Money Summit. It's in Denver. You need to join us. The annual Raising Money Summit, October 3rd through 5th. And I'm going to teach you how to rock your network to raise more money than you ever have before. Hey, this is Matt Terrio of Epic Real Estate, and I've had this date marked on my calendar for a really long time. I'm looking forward to coming to Denver in October to share my secrets to raising private capital. I've raised millions using three specific, small, simple little questions that anyone can use, and I'm not going to hold anything back. If you're there, you're going to know them, and you'll be able to raise millions too. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and today... We are joined with George Abreu, who is, who works with, or he, he owns JNT Construction. Is that the name of it? JNT Construction? JNT Developers. We go by okay. construction as well. So it's, okay. It's so fine. I'm not the only one who makes that mistake, but here's what we're going to learn today from George is how to do deep value ads. So there's really three main topics that we are going to focus on. The first topic is what makes value ads so um, so awesome to do, like, and how does George do it, right? So he's making a ton of money by doing deep value add. But by the way, deep value add is not for everyone. So the other things that we're going to talk about is how you, the listener, will be able to do these same things, but by protecting yourself. And the third thing, which I think is the most important, because what I just learned the other day is there's nine times more passive investors than there are active investors. So what does that mean? We probably have 
thousands of people just like you listening right now who are also passively investing in deals. And you need to know what questions to ask. You need to understand what it's like to go passively invested when somebody has a deep value add. This is something that you might want to run away from, but if you listen to what George actually has to say, you might learn the tips and tricks to protect yourself so that you don't just lose money when going passive in other people's deals. So with that said, George, will you give me a little bit of background on you? How did you start J&T development? And, uh, and then we'll get into really these three topics around deep value add. Okay, great. Thanks, Adam. Um, yeah, so I started around 12 years ago investing in single family homes. We were doing a lot of fix and flips and we got burned a couple times by contractors. So I decided to open J&T, my own construction company. And um, that really helped us grow and start to, at some point, we were doing around 25 fix and flips a year. Um, and that doesn't count for other investors as well. So about three years back, we started doing more commercial and multifamily on the construction side. And as well, on the investments, we started doing uh, mostly multifamily versus single family. And um, since then, you know, that's what we focus on now is, is multifamily. And we've been pretty successful with the deep value add deals. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So I want to dive into why do you even get into the deep value add deals? Like what, what attracted you to doing <laughs> these bigger projects, these more difficult projects? Why, why not just focus on cash flow like the rest of us? Um, you know, we kind of figured this out with the single family as well. When you've got a uh, high demand, the deals start getting slimmer and for us to find better deals with higher returns, we got to kind of make some of those returns happen by doing heavier value adds um, that some people might be scared of. But since we got the construction company and we've got our processes, um, we feel more comfortable with it. Okay. Well, what makes you feel so comfortable with doing deep value adds? Yeah. I mean, we've been, uh, been doing it for 10 plus years uh, as far as the construction experience and we've fixed over a hundred plus fix and flips our, our own investments plus another hundred plus for other investors. And then, um, you know, a hundred plus commercial and multifamily renovations. So a lot of experience on the construction end. So I feel very comfortable, um, you know, looking at structural issues or fire damage, you know, none of that stuff scares me. It's just, uh, making sure you've got the, you know exactly what it's going to cost to fix it when you're going in. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So if somebody else wants to do deep value add um, and they're look, they're looking at these two options, they see something called yield play and they see something called value play and the yield play that looks enticing because they know that they don't have to do any work. They just start collecting checks on these large multifamilies and then they see this value play and that sounds kind of enticing to them because they can make more money. They can make more money, but it also takes more work, more effort, more knowledge, more skills, more communication. But when you do that, you can make a ton of money. So they see this easy thing. It might be just a little bit of money. Then they see George Abreu, who, 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 who's focused on doing this like full time and making just the megabucks. 
and they're interested in doing it, they want to do it, what would you say would be the few things that would really make sure that they streamline their success and not lose a whole bunch of investor money? Uh, the first thing is, you know, going into the deal during your, before your due diligence, during your due diligence, you've got to have a clear scope of work. You've got to don't assume anything. Don't take the broker's word or the owner's word on anything. Make sure you get a professional to inspect all items. A um, couple items you want to make sure you inspect by a professional is your roofs, your sewer lines, um, you know, maybe some structural issues. If uh, balconies or, or something seems to have some structural issues, any major components, chillers or boilers, um, you want to make sure you've got those costs going in. Uh, so later on, it doesn't burn you. Then the other thing is your contractor. You know, I see a lot of investors get burned because they don't hire a reputable contractor. Uh, you've got to do, you've got to vet them properly and make sure you know who you're working with and that they're, that they're going to execute. Cause I mean, the biggest thing on these is you've got to execute, you know, the numbers look good on the front end. Um, you raise all your capital, you close on the deal. Okay. Well now it's time to actually add value and, and execute on your plan. Okay. Any other, any other tips for the newbie investor who's thinking that they might want to tackle this, um, this asset class, this way of, way of life, these giant fix and flips? Yeah. I mean, they got to start bu building a solid team, you know, start, start meeting with contractors or property managers and uh, get references, talk to the references, um, really do your homework on them. And make sure you have that team so when you do find a deal that you can, one, um, estimate it appropriately. And then once you close on it, that you've got the team behind you to get it done. Okay, very, very valuable. So I, I do want to move into the third part of the show where I want to help the passive investor because there are so many different passive investors um, just like you listening to this show right now and you need to know, you know what is value add? You know, what do I need to watch out for? Um, is it really as scary as George thinks? Before we dive into being specific on that, let me ask you this first. When hopping into a new multifamily, there are ranges. Like when you purchase it, many properties you might literally have no work at all. So I would call that zero a door, okay? Nothing. You're just, it's just ready to go. That in a way turnkey, but I hate saying turnkey because the way that other people use the word turnkey, but it's mm -hmm. ready to go the day you buy it. There, then, there's a, then there's another range, I would say, where it's not a whole bunch of money, but it's a lot it's somewhere between a thousand and maybe like 3000 a door. And then maybe there's another range up to five. And then there's another range past 5,000. And some people are doing something like 17 K a door, right? So, so in this podcast, uh, talking about your expertise, George, what's really the range that you do? Usually we do, I would say anything above 5,000 per door is 
considered a, a heavy heavy lift. Um, you know, at that point, you're you're definitely doing more deferred maintenance and uh, more issues with the building versus just upgrading the units or you know adding a couple amenities. Okay, okay. So let me help the passive investor. No, actually, let's let you help the passive <laughs> investor, George. Uh, let's just say that someone was going to be investing in one of these heavy lifts, like you said, or deep value ads where it's, it's above that 5k mark. Okay. It's per door, per door, not just 5k. By the way, someone listening to this, what we're really talking about is if we have a hundred units, we're talking about putting $500,000 into the, in, into the building. Okay. Uh, 5,000 per each door. All right. So if, this happens if the listener wants to be a passive investor they are connecting with you and other sponsors that are doing things and potentially there's a sponsor that doesn't have the type of experience that you have and you and i both know how risky it can be if you don't have the team and the knowledge correct what how can the passive investor protect themselves? Is there certain questions that they might be able to ask the, the sponsor in order to make sure that their money is going to be safe? Definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm also a passive investor. I've invested in, in over 1,400 doors. Um, and there's the same questions I, I always ask on every deal. Um, one is who's the, the sponsor team? You know, who's the deal team? And if it's a heavy lift then okay well who from that team has the construction experience if any um that's probably my first question and then back to upgrades versus deferred maintenance so you know let's say you have a capex budget of a million okay well how much of that million dollars is being used towards upgrades versus deferred maintenance and that will kind of give me an idea you know if um if the majority of it's going towards deferred maintenance that's a little scary to me because um, the deferred maintenance isn't really going to add that much value as far as your NOI and, and those things. But um, so that's one thing I want to dig into that, you know, know how much deferred versus upgraded. Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought you'd be further along financially by now? If so, you're not alone. Many people find themselves wanting to ditch their 9 to 5, wishing they had more time with their family. What most people want is to simply live the life that they choose, and with plenty of money to do so. The good news is you can live an abundant life through apartment investing. Mark and Tamil Kenny with Think Multifamily help you take back the time and freedom so that you can live free from the stresses that burden so many. Through multifamily investing, they teach you how to set your family up for a lifetime of true success and fulfillment. They have helped hundreds of people just like you. Patrick, for example, who since working with Think Multifamily has purchased over 900 units with another 850 under contract. And at 27 years old, was able to quit his demanding job in corporate America. Regardless of your age or profession, Think Multifamily can help you create the life of your dreams. As hosts of the new Think Multifamily podcast, Mark and Tamil will walk you through the journey step-by-step to make sure you are completely set up for success. 
Through this interview style podcast, you will gain a proven strategic apartment investing system and hear stories from successful investors all to help you be light years ahead of those who try to do it alone. Subscribe to the Think Multifamily podcast today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash podcast. As far as uh, who's going to manage the actual renovations, like who on the deal team is going to manage it, and then who's going to get it done, who's going to execute it. Do you plan on hiring a general contractor? Do you plan on having the property manager do it? Do you plan on doing it yourselves internally? Are you, you going to hire all the subcontractors? If so, then you know, back to the same question, who's, who's going to actually manage it? And do they have experience managing a million-dollar renovation or whatever that amount is? Okay, okay. Any other things while I'm taking notes of that? Uh, for a passive, um, you know, there, there's a couple other questions that don't really re- relate to renovations, but, um, you know, obviously re- returns, but if, if you're going to go, so the riskier the deal, the higher the return should be. So, you know, you shouldn't be getting the same returns you can get on a deal that's somebody's only putting a thousand dollars per door. Um, the returns should look nicer on a deep value add deal. Okay. Good. Good to know. All right. So let me, let me get into a couple of the things that you brought up. Number one that I really want to chat about here and just make sure that we understand it is the upgrades versus deferred maintenance. So just to, uh, you know, specifically talk about what is the difference? What is an upgrade and what's just deferred maintenance? Like, if you're replacing the roof, what does that factor in, and how how does that give you better rents? If you're giving, uh, if you're putting in, um, for instance, like a granite countertop, is that uh, uh, deferred maintenance or is that an upgrade, and how does that factor into the rents? Yeah, so you know, in general, deferred versus upgrade. Deferred maintenance is more of the the bones and the components of your building. So your roof, your exterior walls, your plumbing, those type of things are deferred maintenance. If it's not kept up, then you're gonna have to put more money into it. Um, And then your upgrades are, like you said, countertops, you know, that would be an upgrade. Could also lead into some deferred maintenance if you're talking about granite versus putting formica, you know, your granite's gonna last you longer, less maintenance that you're gonna have to do. But um, for the most part, those are upgrades, you know, replacing the lights, replacing your plumbing fixtures. Those are all upgrades and things that can bring you higher rent versus deferred maintenance. Like you said, for the most part, is not really going to let you raise your rents. Okay. Okay. So um, if you were replacing the sign out front, okay, let's just talk about today you're buying a property. The mm-hmm. property has a, a three-foot-wide sign. It's six feet high, and the letters are falling off. And you come in, and, and you say, sign's ugly, needs to go. You replace it for not a three-foot-wide, but a 13-foot-wide sign wow. or an eight-foot-wide sign, <laughs> something really, really, really nice. It costs a little bit of money, 
now what what does that does that count more as a as deferred maintenance because you're replacing a sign or is that like an upgrade is there any way that that sign can that new sign can help bring in better rents what would you say on on something like that yeah i mean i would say more of an upgrade you know if you were just going to go and and put the letters back or put new letters maybe that's more maintenance but if you're really going to change the curb appeal and drive in more possible tenants then that's more of an upgrade to me okay and so so i i believe that we understand what you're talking about now when you're saying deferred maintenance is the old landlord looked at the property and said i don't want to I don't want to replace those broken windows yet. I don't want to uh, to button up these bricks yet. I don't want to pay for a new sign. Um, they are just trying. They're waiting on the on the stuff that normally would get maintained. But the upgrades are the things where it you, we say if we put all new flooring, if we upgrade the the uh, the what is it the, the refrigerator and the other appliances inside the unit these are these are things that will attract a higher quality tenant all of a sudden you have one tenant who said it's totally fine with me to have a damaged refrigerator damaged white off white refrigerator <laughs> and now now we're only looking for that tenant that says all right, I'm good with this stainless steel brand new appliance. Something like that? Is that kind of what we're talking about, right? Yeah, you got it. Okay. Dead on. And when you say you want to ask how much money is going toward upgrades versus deferred maintenance, um, how does someone who's just getting into this know what answer is good or what answer is is bad, right? So, so if 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 they say the whole thing's going to upgrades, is that automatically good? Or if they say the whole thing has to go to maintenance because uh, just deferred maintenance, we've got to replace the roof, we've got to replace the siding. That's everything that my budget's going to is is replacing things that are that are old and never got broken. Does one mean something good and the other one mean something bad? If all the money's going there. Not necessarily. I mean, there's, there's something else you got to look at. Um, that's a great question, by the way. What are the projected rent bumps? You know, if if you see that they're trying to get a $100 rent bump and they're not putting anything towards upgrades and just deferred maintenance, then it doesn't make sense. You know, things don't add up right. Um, now, the only thing that that deferred maintenance is really going to do is your expenses might be lower, you know, because you've, you've hardened the property and you're going to spend a little bit less on the maintenance. Um, so that makes sense. So pretty much if it's, if there's more deferred maintenance, it should be more of a management or expense play versus rent bumps. And if it's more, if you've got a lot towards upgrades, then okay, well, hopefully those upgrades are getting you the rent bumps. Cool. Cool. All right. So, um, so you look at both, you look at and see, you know, what they're saying that they're doing with the new rents and you make a judgment call mostly based on, I feel like you have the experience to say, that's a good number. Um, what if, what if we just like didn't have that experience 
is there a ratio that we should be looking at 50 50 is it should we be saying like if they're if they can put a hundred dollars on by doing five thousand a door that you know that's a good return i should go ahead and invest in this is there something that the newbie can can uh pull out of because to me this seems like the hardest of all the questions. <laughs> and so I guess what I'm hoping for is that you have that magic sauce where we don't have to have, have been doing like you with J and T development, you've been doing this for 12 years. You know, you've been doing 25 flips a year. You've done over a hundred of your own properties. Um, but not everyone has that experience. So I'm trying to think what can I pull out so that I, automatically understand this is a good deal or or this is not a good deal these i should turn around and run away these guys are <laughs> going to lose my money um i'm trying to think of something there man there's there's just so many variables um that go into that you know what uh, how low is the current rent um you know maybe maybe there's not that many upgrades that are needed um I wish there was a percentage I could tell you okay. um, to make that work. But really just, I would say if, if, if the projections are counting on the rent bumps, make sure that there's something going towards upgrades a decent amount. I mean, at least 2000 per unit or so, depending on how much of a rent bump. Okay. And let me ask you this, because th that's a great answer. Um, that's a great answer. I, I understand that not everything is like a, a science and it, here's just the line in the sand. Everything on this side is good. Everything on this side is bad. Uh, so it's good to have a gray area and, it, and it's good to understand that there's a gray area as a passive investor. Absolutely. Um, so we're talking about if they're raising the rents, if they're showing a good increase of rents, you should probably be seeing a good upgrade, a good amount of money of that budget, of that 5K plus going to the upgrades. Awesome. Correct. I, I understand that. I think we can have a good takeaway with that. Now, what I would like to double check with you is if they're saying that we're going to increase rents by a hundred bucks, then um, how might the passive investor double check that those numbers are possible on their own before well, I guess what I'm saying, George, is if I was not as honest as I am and all I cared about was just closing a deal and making an acquisition fee, mm -hmm. I could write down something like, oh, uh, rents are under market by $300. Um my property already looks perfect to the property that we're buying over here. The only money I'm putting in is to replace the roof for a million dollars. So the other stuff, the other stuff uh, we don't need to do because look at, look at our property compared to this other property with $300 more in rent. And that sounds huge. It's a hundred units. It's three hundred per unit. Uh, that's around three hundred thousand uh, dollars. You know, three thirty thousand a month. Uh, if I'm doing the math, I'm not even using my calculator. But let's just call it 
let's just call it 300000 a year. Let's just call it 300000 a year based on a five cap that's $6 million bucks. And so look at this. All we have to do is buy it, and now we can sell it for $6 million bucks after we just bump the rents to what they're supposed to be. So I guess what I'm asking is, if I just told that to somebody unsuspecting, and they looked at my numbers and they said, oh, no, he's right. If you, if you get 300000 more in, in, in rents based on a five cap, yes, it does mean this. But maybe how can they do their own due diligence to see if, if um, they feel like three hundred is even something possible? I mean, I'm, I don't want to assume anybody has access to software. So, you know, we, we do, we use Colstar to pull our comps and then we would take a deep look at the comps and see what the actual units look like. So if you don't have access to that, you can just apartments.com, you know, and just look for apartments in the area that the criteria kind of matches and then look at their pictures, see what those units look like versus the units from the, the subject property. And, you know, $300, it, it should look very similar, if not um, what they're saying doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. And one other thing I can kind of throw in there is when you're looking at a unit, so a complete remodeled unit with cabinets and all, you're probably going to be somewhere around 8000 per unit with new cabinets, new countertops, whole nine yards, um, scratch the cabinets and keeping the countertops, you're probably closer to 5,000. That's just upgrading everything except for cabinets and countertops. And then maybe 3,000 per unit is just going to get you new light fixtures, paint, and not much more. Awesome. Well, I, I, that was very valuable. Um, I, I think that it's easy to understand the 3000, what it gets, 5,000, what it gets, 8,000, what he, what it gets, uh, based on, you know, every market can be slightly different. That's mm-hmm. all very, very valuable. Um, a really good ballpark, a rule of thumb to, to be able to look at if someone's quoting X, you know, how, how close is it to this, um, three, five and eight. If someone's closing, uh, quoting, why, how close is it to the three, five, and eight? Good stuff. Correct. I really appreciate it. Um, so now let's ask this. Um, so you mentioned that one of the questions that you need to ask, your passive investor, uh, somebody has something above that 5,000 mark, and, um, and you're going to go and ask them, who's managing the renovations? Is it a general contractor? Are you, are you going to be the project manager? Is your property management company going to be managing it? And, and then you dive deeper once you know the answer to that. And, and now you want to know what's their experience. Correct. Have they done something that was 8,000 a unit before? Uh, or is this their very first one? Because if, if it's their very first one, it's probably do not invest. But what... Um, what is like that threshold where you know that it's going to be safe? They, where they've, they've managed two projects from start to finish and given their investors the returns that they said that they would be targeting. If they've done that twice, is that when you know that you can, that you can invest passively and, and expect a good level of, of success? Or is there a different threshold? Is it above the two? Is it below the two? 
if we're talking about a one of the sponsors actually managing it, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think two is probably safe. You know, one they might have gotten lucky, so yeah. I would definitely want to see, you know, at least a second one. And then if we're talking about a general contractor or property manager, you know, that's a different story. I, I'd really want to see a good track record. Okay. Good info. Thank you. All right. So how about the, uh, okay, experience, the returns uh, is another question that you brought up where I believe that the information that you shared with the returns is if you're doing a deep value add above 5K uh, per door versus if you're just doing uh, a, a very simple yield play, cash flow play. You, the investor might um, n- need to have as a return on a simple deal, let's just say 14, 15, 16% IRR. And if, if they're getting into this deep value add, maybe they need to be looking for 19, 20, 21% IRR, something like this, or am you I- nailed it. I mean, that's okay. exactly, yeah. That's okay. What I was gonna say. All right. Awesome. Okay. So the returns are in the 15-ish range and they're getting closer to the 20-ish range if we're going to do a deep value add. The, basically, the cash-on-cash cash annualized return for the investor. Maybe if it took five years on something that was more of a deep value add, we're looking to pretty close double the money in like five years. If, if we can show something around that 20% a year or close, Maybe this is fair. Maybe this is something where it makes sense. But if you were going to show that you were going to do this deep value add with all, all the additional p- potential risk, and um, you were going to show me that you're only going to give me 12% annualized, maybe I would be like, no way. I could get, right. I could get 12 or 13% easy in this other deal um, that is safe, safe, safe. I don't have to risk it to get it. So, um, very, very, very good info. Is there any other information that you believe we need to share with uh, the listener in order for them to know how to find or spot these deals or how, how to analyze or underwrite these deals or how to take one of these deals down? Um, one thing I, I wanted to mention was as a passive going in, just realize your, your cash flow is going to be less on the value adds in the beginning and be prepared for that. Like don't expect to, to be getting your cash flow right off the bat. Um, and then as far as taking down one of these deals, um, just be very detailed, do a lot of the work on the front end. Um, don't leave anything unanswered you don't want any surprises. I mean, that's, that's really what's going to kill you. You know, if you, if you're budgeting 2 million in CapEx and then you've got to replace a bunch of sewer lines because you decided not to get them scoped and they're all cracked and you've got to break concrete and replace, you know, your couple hundred thousand dollars that you didn't have budgeted. And then at that point, you've got to figure out where that money's coming from. Awesome. Really good info there. How about how about when you're trying to take one of these deals down? What's it like working with a lender? Because I'm used to maybe getting a traditional Fannie or Freddie loan, a CMBS loan. 
maybe even a HUD loan. But what happens with these deep value ads? Is it just bridge loan? Is that the only option out there? Or what are we looking for if we're going to try to take one of these down? We've, we've just done bridge loans, um, bridge to, to agency. And um, they're, they're pretty easy to work with. I mean, as long as you've got everything, um, all your paperwork, you know, they're going to want to see definitely your plan and your renovations. And the more you have on that, the, the better and easier it is. Okay. Got it. And um, I understand that some times I, I, when I've listened to different podcasts in, in the past, when I've gone to different meetups in the past, um, there's been this theme that continues to follow me around. I, I don't know how many times I've heard it, but it goes like this. Whatever you think it's going to cost, it's going to cost more. However long you think it's going to take, it's going to take longer. Um, so this theme kind of says, the, you know, it's going to cost more than you think it's going to cost, and it's going to take longer than you think it's going to take. And I know that that has been the theme with a lot of single family, and I know a lot of fix and flippers, and myself, and so far... I have about a 100% track record of, of the people that I've asked that are fixing flippers, how many deals that they've had that have gone under budget, and it's zero. Like nobody's ever said, nobody's ever, we had a $50,000 budget and we did it in 40. It just has not been something that I've heard of yet. Um, however, I have heard sometimes that people say, that they've, they had a million dollar budget for their CapEx and they, because they gave enough cushion that they did it in 850. Um, but they really thought it was going to be 850 and they only had the million just in case. So I, I have heard of that. Now, in your experience, what have you seen, not just with your company, but with other companies, if, if you have a $2 million CapEx budget, are, are we going a little over? Are we going a little under? Has it ever doubled and became $4 million? No, I mean, the double is would be someone not doing the things I'm telling you to do, you know, and, and making mistakes. Um, you should be, if, if you do all the work up front, you should be pretty close. Um, we've, we've come close on all of ours. We've, we've beat it on some of them. Um, and most bridge loans are actually going to almost force you to put that cushion. So our latest acquisition, it's a million dollar budget and the lender made us put 1.2. And our plan is to not, our plan is to still come under that one and not use any of that. Nice. Love it. All right. So let's just, let's just talk real quick. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about the bridge loan um, because to, those of us who are listening to the podcast and have been doing this for a little while and we know what agency means and we know what bridge means and we know what bridge to HUD or whatever uh, might mean, but there's also going to be a couple of people listening, probably a thousand, that, um, that have never, ever, ever heard of a bridge loan, but they've heard of like a hard money loan. So how, how does it work in uh, commercial real estate when you're taking down these large properties what is agency debt? What is bridge debt? If you could explain that. 
Yeah. So, I mean, a bridge is, is definitely better than hard money. Um, it's going to be a little bit higher interest rate than your agency, but they're also going to go a higher loan to value. They, they actually go loan to cost. So they'll, they'll include your, your renovation budget in there. And um, you can usually go up to 80%, 85% maybe, depending on the deal. Um, and then the plan there is within 12 to 18 months, you go ahead and refinance and flip it into an agency. Um, on the front end, you want to make sure how that looks on the agency side and what your refinance is going to look like. And your lender should be able to do that for you with your help. Cool. All right. So, so that's awesome. Okay. What were a couple things that I got from that is one, you don't hold these bridge loans forever. They might have a slightly higher interest rate. They might give you more per unit, more per dollar that you think that you need, like a loan to value. Mm -hmm. And, um, and sometimes they're interest only by the way, but also, the, I guess the question that I want to get from you or, or understand um, based on what you just shared with the higher loan, to, it's, it, they, they do loan to cost versus loan to value. Uh, so a lot of other people are getting maybe, let's just say for lack of argument, they're getting 75% LTV. And, and then when we're doing um, a bridge loan, maybe you're getting 85% loan to cost. One of the things that I'm trying to think of here is I'm wondering if because the way that you're getting the debt, do you have to bring in less, pri- less private money, less OPM? You, maybe you can share more of the deal for the owners or the sponsors because the, the lender's taking on debt rather than you raise even a higher amount of equity. Is that is that something that factors in it all? I'm just making a speculation here. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely factors into your investor returns. You're going to need less capital, which means the returns are going to be higher for the ones, the capital you do bring in. Um, you know, you do have the higher interest rate, which will play a little bit into your returns as well. But overall, your returns are going to be higher if you go in with the bridge, the, the kicker is you need to make sure that you're going to be adding value to that property. You know, you don't, like you said, the bridge is not something you hold on to forever. You need to be able to refinance out of it. Is there a way that they can find you online and, and reach out to you and, yeah. and contact you? For sure. Um, best email right now is actually my investor email, which is Elevate. So it's Jorge, J-O-R-G-E even though I go by George, <laughs> it's J-O-R-G-E at elevatecig.com. Um, feel free to email me. Um, and then also on Facebook, you can find me, Jorge Abreu. And, awesome. Uh, I'm very active on Facebook as well. Awesome. All right. So that is going to be in the show notes. So it's just George, J-O-R-G-E or Jorge at Elevate C-I-G, which I believe stands for Capital Investment Group. Commercial investment group. Commercial investment group.com. So George at elevatecig.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for adding so much value and taking the extra time to get into the nitty gritty of these details. I learned a, a ton. I really appreciate your time. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box.
Thank you. I hope you decide to go ahead and grab your ticket to the Raising Money Summit this year. The networking is going to be outrageous. So I hope you'll accept my invitation to come to the Raising Money Summit by going to RaisingMoneySummit.com. Check out the speaker lineup. Check out the already amazing ticket prices that we have. And grab your discount for it as well. Just put in podcast. So that's your promo code. That's your discount code. I definitely want to see you there October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Hey, this is Matt Terrio of Epic Real Estate. And I've had this date marked on my calendar for a really long time. I'm looking forward to coming to Denver in October to share my secrets to raising private capital. I've raised millions using three specific, small, simple little questions that anyone can use. And I'm not going to hold anything back. If you're there, you're going to know them and you'll be able to raise millions too. Hi, I'm Julian Sidoti from one of the top syndication law firms in the country, Trowbridge Sidoti, crowdfundinglawyers.net. And there's a massive controversy going on right now in the world of raising private money. And that has to do with using your network to raise money for you. I see a lot of people doing this. I get a lot of phone calls about it. And a lot of people are doing it wrong. I want you to do it right. I want you to do it right. I want you to raise more money than you ever have before. And I want you to use your network. So I'm going to teach you how to rock your network for your money raising. You will raise more money this year than you ever have before if you follow what I tell you October 3rd through the 5th at the annual Raising Money Summit. It's in Denver. You need to join us. The annual Raising Money Summit, October 3rd through 5th. And I'm going to teach you how to rock your network to raise more money than you ever have before. Hey, this is Jason Yerusi of the Yerusi Holdings. Excited for the Raising Money Summit coming up in October. Going to be an awesome event. I'm going to be there giving you the four hurdles that you need to make sure you're surpassing so you can raise millions of dollars this next year from passive investors. It's going to be breaking down what I've done on past deals and how I use it going forward on all my future deals to make sure that I'm aligning with my past investors. Looking forward to it.